Welcome to an episode of Ripping On Modest Rippers. I'm Kim. And I'm Jenny. And this week we fucked up. Yes, we did. Uh, so we read Honey Girl by... Morgan Rogers. And, well, we read it under the impression that it's a romance novel for right. our romance novel podcast. And I will say, I'm normally the one who does, like, preliminary picks and then, like, checks in with Kim being like, hey, this one sounds good, right? And so I had assumed Honey Girl was a romance novel um, because, first off, Park Row Books publishes romance novels sometimes under that imprint. Um, I kept on seeing Instagram posts from every a lot of people we follow who are romance bloggers about Honey Girl. And then several magazines called it a romance including like Oprah magazine which I would just like trust right and Goodreads also shelves this as romance yeah it's not and synopsis also hints that way right so give us a synopsis with her newly completed PhD in astronomy in hand, Grace Porter goes on a girl's trip to Vegas to celebrate. She's a straight-A, hard-working, high achiever. She is not the kind of person who goes to Vegas and gets drunkenly married to a woman whose name she doesn't know, until she does exactly that. This one beautiful, spontaneous moment upends Grace's carefully laid life plans— Staggering under the weight of her parents' expectations, a struggling job market, and feelings of burnout, Grace flees her home in Portland for a summer in New York with the wife she barely knows. In New York, she's able to ignore all the constant questions about her future and falls hard for her creative and gorgeous wife, Yuki Yamamoto. But when reality comes crashing in, Grace must face what she's been running from all along— the fears that make us human, and the need for connection, especially when navigating the messiness of adulthood. So, romance. Romance. It's like a wild night at Vegas, you get married, that's a trope in romance. Absolutely, and then you... And then you would think that the whole thing is about their relationship occurring as she's in New York, but... New York doesn't happen for, like, until halfway in, essentially. Right. And the relationship itself is a subplot. It says that she's Yuki's creative and gorgeous, but we don't actually get to see her. She doesn't have her dual, she doesn't have an own perspective or anything. So we don't really know much about her, really, that I never got a true sense of her, let alone their relationship. So we would call this contemporary fiction. Yes. Women's fiction Fiction. if you go by that label right Mm -hmm. but not it's certainly not a romance novel no that being said we didn't have time to read another book no and we had already posted that we were reading this one i was like oh no it's we're too far in so we're doing it we're doing it and i think first we can start off with maybe like why would it be marketed as a romance novel yeah and not a contemporary fiction. Right. Any thoughts? Uh, well, I think because the hook is, like you said, such a big trope for romance mm-hmm. that maybe that's just the easiest route for right. the publishing house and the editors and, you know, the marketing team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I guess, I mean, and, you know, the line is already so blurred between mm-hmm. romance and women's fiction. and. Yeah. I'm just going to paint with a broad stroke and say no one really give enough of a shit. 
to really nitpick it. Yeah, I don't think they necessarily thought, oh, if we market this as a romance, then it might be, like, misleading. I I think they just presumed people would, like, realize from early on that this wasn't a romance novel. But it's like, I already paid for this book, so now I'm going to read it. Um, and I agree. I think it's more marketable to say it's to kind of have this, like, romance thing because most of the book is just Grace really struggling with her mental health. Like, this is not necessarily a fun book, and it's much easier to put books in people's hands if they think it's going to be lighthearted and fun and be about this, like, whirlwind romance when it's really about Grace struggling with her career path and struggling with a sense of identity and, like, feeling okay. Yeah, a black queer woman yes. struggling with all of those things. So like certainly if that's the description then the cover, you know, would not be this beautiful illustrated cover of Grace in like a beautiful like burgundy mm-hmm. poppy color. I think it would be like some terrible picture of a cityscape and it's yeah. like gray. <laughs> Maybe like the cityscape and then like a woman, a lone figure. Uh, yeah walking like down over the her shoulder yeah <laughs> instead it's just like this beautiful woman looking like straight at us it feels like a romance cover for right. sure the font yeah pretty the, very light it's doing that candy color thing that romance novels have been doing lately with mm-hmm. their covers which i love because it looks gorgeous on the shelf yeah. it's a stunning cover but it's just a little like oh I thought this was going to be something. I guess a lot of romance covers, when they do illustrated stuff, do show two people. So maybe that was a sign. Right, right. I thought this was just like a choice because it was going to be only from like one perspective. Yeah. And there, and like, uh, don't get us wrong, there are tons of romance novels that's only one perspective. Right. We read one last week. Yeah. But the thing that makes it different is that romance novels, the central plot is about the relationship right this isn't it yeah i'm yeah i always say that romance novels that like you said the central plot is the romance and we see how their relationship helps each other grow but this book is about grace growing so that she can be in a relationship later right so let's just hop on into it let's give you the character breakdown Mm -hmm. so our main protagonist Grace Porter. She is a biracial lesbian, recent PhD graduate, graduate mm-hmm. in astronomy, very depressed, very anxious, yeah, super lost, but won't recognize that she is any of those things. Mm-hmm. And the girl that she marries drunkenly in Vegas is Yuki Yamamoto, who is this, she's like almost a manic pixie dream girl. Oh my girl. god. Yes. I wrote in my notes, <laughs> is she a manic pixie dream girl? Like she's just she's not perfect enough. Like they show her flaws. Yeah. But she's like, I'm quirky and cool and I live in New York and I'm mysterious. So the author part. is not a straight white man. I think that's the only thing that saved her from writing a full on manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. Like had this book be writ- been written by a white man. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Morgan Rogers, like, knew. Right. She was, like, self-aware enough to be, like, I'm going to, like, have a manic pixie dream girl, except not. Because yes. in the first part, it really seems like that. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that really threw me off for a bit. Yes. I was like, uh-oh. There's a lot of 
purple proses and a lot of mm-hmm. champagne bubble illusions and yeah, flower blooming. <laughs> yeah, very romanticized, and the romanticization doesn't even stop once they meet. Right, it's not until like. The but the bubble dish yeah the bubble does pop though right which i think is 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 what, what saved saves it, it. yeah <laughs> then we have grace's support system which mm-hmm. is this wonderful cast of characters that are her friends we yeah. have her two roommates agnes and jimena yeah agnes and jimena also queer women mm-hmm. agnes is white jimena is black latina i, I think so say. yeah we also have like two sibling figures. Mm-hmm. Um, Grace works at like a tea shop. And so her little sister, Mira, and her bigger sister, big big brother, Raj. Yes. So a wonderful, diverse cast of character. Mm-hmm. And the story does take place in Portland. So it's only fitting. Yes. And then we have Grace's parents, the colonel. Mm-hmm. He's a very formidable dad like very much military straight from the base you do what i say as i say it porters are the best porters are the best he treats his like he raises his daughter to be more of a perfect like soldier than an actual human being which contributes a lot to grace's issues right because she thinks only the best is acceptable Oh, good dad. Good old dad causing trauma. We love, like, we've talked about parental trauma Mm -hmm. so much so far. Yeah. It's like every, like, last week when we were talking about a promise of fire, Kat's mom fucked her up. And kind of the same thing happened, too, here, where her mom is also a source of trauma. Mm -hmm. So, like, in opposition to her dad, her mom is a free spirit who travels, like, after their divorce, travels all the time. She's, like, one of those people who finds peace and inner tranquility and such. Mm-hmm. What's Which her mom's is... first name? Melanie. Melanie. Or Mel something. They okay. call her Mel. And then okay. at the end, we, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Grace is stuck with her dad most of, for most of her childhood, visiting her mom periodically. But she feels like she's a impediment to her mom's lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Which... It's a fair conclusion to draw if you're a child and one parent constantly leaves the country. Yeah. So she's never quite good enough for her dad to be proud of her and never quite important enough for her mom to stay. Yikes. Yikes. So when she flees to New York, um, she is actually fleeing. She kind of drops everything and goes there to see Yuki. And Yuki has her own support system. Um, the one, the names I wrote down, and correct me if I miss anyone, Kim. There's Dorian, Fletcher, Sonny, and those are all Yuki's roommates. Right. And then there's also Blue, who helps Yuki with her radio show. Mm-hmm. And I wrote down a name, Jarrell, who I think is like the security guy. At the radio thing, but I think he's only mentioned briefly. Yeah, I think it's like a side character thing because we've only seen her them like, okay, lock up. Right. So, yes, that's that's the important players here. So, as we said, this book starts with Grace having recently come back from Las Vegas. Yes. Or woken up in Las Vegas. Hazy memory. 
knowing she got married because there's a ring and a lock around her, mm-hmm. like in a chain around her neck. Where, and then Yuki had left. Yes. She, she, she fled. Yeah. <laughs> leaving a mysterious note behind for Grace to read that says, I know who I am, but who are you? I woke up during the sunrise, and your hair and your skin and the freckles on your nose glowed like gold, honey gold. I think you are my wife, and I will call you Honey Girl. Consider this a calling card if you ever need a, I don't know how these things work, a friend, a wife, it says, but crossed out, a partner, or, I don't know, I have to go, but I think I had fun, and I think I was happy. I don't think I would get married in Vegas if I wasn't. I hope you were too. What is it they say? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Well, I can't stay. Maybe one day you'll come find me, honey girl. Until then, you can follow the sound of my voice. Are you listening? A. What the fuck? Right. B. This is when I started getting nervous. I mean, I got nervous from the prologue when it was in second person. So. I don't know about you, but if I woke up married to a stranger Mm. in las vegas i don't care what kind of flight i have to catch i need to i need to stay and figure out right their contact info so we can proceed with this annulment yes right away the day after you can get another flight you you i'm gonna follow you then (laughs) and we're gonna get this annulment you because you don't know them you don't know what happened and like, what if, what if something happens and you don't get an annulled or you don't get it divorced if you can't get an annulment? Right. And then like they die and like technically you're their wife. Or you, they never contact you. You find someone, you fall in love oh. with them, you try to get married and then the court's like, psych, you can't. You're married already. Isn't that a plot in Bones? It is a plot in Bones. I'm watching Bones, everyone. We Excuse you. Well, I also watch episodes when Kim's not in the room. (laughs) Grace freaks out. Yeah. And then she tries to remember, and then we get this very hazy, very romantic painting of Yuki as this, like, flowers blooming from her face, dark, beautiful hair, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. They're hot for each other. They're hot for each other. Yeah. That's all you need to know, really. I don't know. I don't know. Grace is also, like, not freaking out enough for me because she also isn't, like, immediately calling that number and being like, hi, excuse me, what do you mean you left? Right. She was just like, okay, I'm keeping this card. I think her mind was like, I cannot deal with this right now. Like, she's 29, just got her PhD, and has literally faced so much explicit and implicit racism in all of her interviews. Right. And also yes. so much um, homophobia, too. Right. That she's just like, I am going to lose it if I <laughs> actually confront this. That's fair. Yeah. But I've I mean, lost it over less. You're right. Yeah. But I, too, I think would wake up and just be like, I need to handle this right away so I can stop worrying about it. Yeah. So the thing that struck me, and I'm sure it strikes you too, is that the problem Grace faces, we're in a spot in our lives yeah. where it's like, it hits too close to home. Yes. So we're not graduate, can't like, no. but we're 
finishing up our senior year. It's approaching very quickly. Mm-hmm. We're both unsure about job prospects going yeah. forward. I mean, the job market after a full year of a pandemic, abysmal. Abysmal. It's just like, oh, Jesus. The, every time I think about it, I just get so stressed out. So, like, reading this and her being like, I can't find a job. I'm like, me, me neither. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So, yeah, there's and a lot of times I just, like, had to put this book down because I was like, yeah, ooh, ooh. I'm feeling it too much. Yeah, I actually, I got physically anxious. Mm-hmm. So, if you're not in that space in your life, right, you might be fine reading this book. If you were set in your career, you can be like, oh, yes, I remember when I used to feel that way. Yes. And that might be a good way for you to reflect on how far you've come. But Kim and I aren't aren't there yet. Also, We're in the same boat. BT dubs, if you are set in your career and it happens to be in medicine and or publishing, reach out. <laughs> Please. We are just, we're smart women who need jobs, okay? Please, I can be so much more professional than I am on this podcast. You have seen nothing of our professionalism. We are very good at separating personal and professional. All we want are salaried jobs with health insurance. Please, I haven't been to the dentist in (laughs) so long. Yeah. And I don't want to be on my retired parents' health insurance until I'm 27. <laughs> okay, that wraps up our begging for employment segment. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. As we were saying, I also, the whole you have to be perfect, I related to that a lot yeah. because that's the way my parents were, or at least that's the way my mom raised me. And a lot mm-hmm. of it stems from, and like, Full disclosure, I'm not a black woman. Jenny's not a black woman. No. We are so far removed from this kind of overt and implicit racism every yeah. single day. But I am a woman of color and an immigrant, so I understand this idea of you need to survive. Your sur- Like, when survival is at stake, everything else, like mental health and mm-hmm. emotional well-being and fulfillment, yes, those things are important, but unfortunately... They're easily cast aside. You have to cast it aside. Mm -hmm. And then if you're raised in that, it's kind of hard to get out of it once you're, like, set. Like, right Right. now, my survival isn't, you know, threatened. But, again, if you've been raised like that for, like, the way Grace was raised Mm -hmm. for 29 years and the way I've been raised for 22, almost 23 years, it's hard for your brain to know the difference between, okay, we can... Right. We can step back. Yeah. And I think there's like one thing of like realizing you're doing it, but it's that doesn't mean it's easy to stop it. For sure. It like I was telling one of my friends, I forgot who, um also, I'm a white woman, so very far removed from even Kim's experience or Grace's for that matter. Um but I I was telling I think our other roommate that I recognize what I'm doing is spreading myself too thin. But I can't stop myself because I have this feeling where I'm like, well, if I don't do this, then if I don't push myself over and over and prove that I can be this like great multitasker, then it's like, well, I'm not doing everything I can. Yeah. So 
Yes. And, and Grace does the same exact thing where she's putting so much on her plate mm-hmm. and eventually faces the burnout of essentially being in school for 11 years. In yeah. It's also that whole productivity culture that America is very wrapped up in right now. So yeah. none of us can really escape it, but we can at least be aware of it. Yeah. Which Grace becomes aware of it she becomes aware she's as this novel goes on she's not aware at the beginning that what she's doing is harming herself yeah and she and her anxieties do manifest in a way where she is physically literally harming herself because when she gets anxious she pinches at her like wrists or her palm until it like until they bleed essentially Mm -hmm. as a way to like push all of her negative emotions down so i appreciated the like uh, the realistic portrayal of all of the ways your anxieties come back up when you think that you're doing a good job at shoving them down. Yeah. And if anyone's ever interested in um, like a content warning list or trigger warning list, I'm pretty sure Morgan Rogers has a list on their like website blog where they kind of go by and say, like, this is what is in the book. So if, just if it's a broad thing, if anxiety, depression, self-harm, if any of that is triggering, then this might not be the book for you because it, all three of those things are explicitly discussed. Yes. As we said, we both had to, at some point, put the book down and mm-hmm. just took a breather. Right. Because the way Morgan Rogers writes anxiety and depression is, like, so yeah yeah and that so as we've said we thought it was a romance novel and we are disappointed that it's not because you know that's the Mm -hmm. show but by no means does that mean this isn't a A good good book yeah or that morgan rogers isn't a good writer because it spoke to us so much that we both had to yeah like i think if you're trying to read this as a romance novel then like yes you'll be disappointed because that's not the intent of this book so don't read it as that. And I think right once we kind of came to the realization that this was not what we thought it was, and we just kind of like let that go. And we we're like, okay, well, we're going to read it anyways. I enjoyed myself a lot more. Mm-hmm. Me um, too. Because you can't, you can't set something to a standard it's not even trying to meet. Yeah. Excellent point. Let's go through the plot pretty quickly. Um, it is a very character-driven novel, just about like Grace and her mental health and how she um, recognizes her issues and eventually starts getting on um, a path where she's like getting better. Um, by no means is she like magically healed at the end or anything, um, but it's a, it's a very character-driven novel. Um, but the big like overarching plot is that. Wakes up married in Vegas, comes back to her apartment in Portland, um, doesn't tell her friends for a bit, but eventually does, realizes that she needs a break from constantly pushing herself, goes to New York, um, is there for like three months. Which, what? Yeah. Let's just say Yuki's roommates are very accommodating. And we would not <laughs> we would not have been. And I do not relate. <laughs> if someone if my roommate's yeah, random okay. wife uh-huh. just came and stayed for three months. Oh my god. I would like move out, I think. <laughs> I'd be like, she's paying rent then. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. This was not a this is not an apartment made for four people. What okay, this is a good point. Like, this is a good segue into the point I was trying to make. 
all of the main characters in this novel, besides like her parents, essentially, mm-hmm. at least her, so her found family, Grace's found family, Grace's yeah. support system, all are so unrealistically loving, uh-huh. devoted people. And I'm not saying unrealistically in a bad way because it was really refreshing. Yes. To see a black woman be treated tenderly mm-hmm. with a lot of affection and love and that her like the whole book isn't her traumas like it right it is but it's not from the people that she has chosen to surround herself with right. you know and i think it's also refreshing that her support system recognizes why she's doing this mm-hmm. so it's like okay as a queer black woman you've had to go twice as hard to get half as far and we understand that right but that doesn't mean that you're a failure if you take a break like they're all very aware of like the positionality she's coming from too which I think was like vital to actually comforting her Mm because if they're not going to recognize where she's coming from then I think all of it falls flat but they do yeah they do and it's great and they're all so physically affectionate mm-hmm. and at first I said to Jenny it's just like you know as I was reading it I made an offhanded comment I was like these people are so weirdly affectionate like yeah. we barely hug as mm-hmm. roommates and then she just goes do you do you not like it or are you jealous <laughs> and I was like I think both. (laughs) I think I don't like it because I am jealous. Mm. Yeah, I think that's something we learned about each other because I do like hugs and like physical affection a lot. As do I. But I'm very like closed off to that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we were both like, oh, we like hugs. But I guess I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't want to just like ask for a hug. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, that feels weird to me, but it probably shouldn't. Right. And, like, like, culturally speaking, Americans really don't touch. No. Like, the the physical distance, even. We give each other a lot more personal space standing in public, which is, you know, good in a pandemic. I'm saying outside of the context of COVID. Mm -hmm. Other countries I've noticed, and in studies that, like, actual um, anthropologists have done, Like, we give each other, like, three-ish feet of personal space when talking in a conversation, whereas someone will come, like, right up, like, two to one foot away from you Mm. in another country. And there's a lot of hypotheses about that, but essentially, like, a lot of Americans are touch-starved. Yeah. I'm not surprised. This is making me think about one time um, my sophomore year of college— my roommate had to do like the she was in like the acting program and she needed like another person to stand in so she roped me into it and I didn't realize I'd be like acting alongside a stranger who like I'd only met for like 10 minutes right beforehand and she like went hard like and like we were playing sisters but I was like very uncomfortable and she like hugged me repeatedly and she like put her hands on my face and I like visibly flinched away I was like that surprised by it right yeah yeah it's just like not common but it was also like whoa girl I don't know you (laughs) at all all that to say really nice to see Mm mm-hmm yeah it was just I wish you know I wish everyone has that kind of support system yeah they hug her so often and they like 
give her little kisses on the yeah. head or even just like holding hands they share beds all the time mm-hmm. they pile in yeah they yeah. pile in and it also is a good demonstration of like affection isn't tied intrinsically in with romantic yeah attraction and i think a part of that too feeds into this cultural like anti-touch thing because mm-hmm. then we don't want other people to assume that you know whatever whatever right i know i think that was like really smart of morgan to put in that just because grace is queer and so are her roommates that when they're piling into a bed together it's not sexual Mm -hmm. it's friends supporting each other and it's not like going to then go into this like threesome or anything yeah it's like women queer women can like show affection without it being sexually charged okay so she's trying to find a job and she Mm -hmm. hasn't told anyone this but the job that she essentially expected to get yes because her professor her like advisor who Mm -hmm. she worked very closely with was like oh i have pull at this company you're my star student i'll get you an interview right all the expectations are there for her to do well Mm -hmm. and when she arrives at the interview she is maligned (laughs) basically they questioned her credentials even though she has a whole fucking phd yeah they're like you couldn't have possibly have done this without the help of a white woman Right. And then they questioned her involvement in activist groups, like mm-hmm. LGBTQ activist groups and black activist groups that she was in during her academic year. So essentially, right. she stormed out. Yeah. And she didn't tell anyone about it because she's embarrassed mm-hmm. slash angry, which makes sense. Yeah. But now she's kind of at a loss because jobs. Jobs. And now she's married. <laughs> To a stranger. So she's like, okay, I don't have any future job prospects. And anytime she does interview, it's kind of the same thing over and over again. Um, and when she does apply to jobs, she she also gets swiftly rejected too, uh, which only adds to her sense of failure. Failure, yeah. And I will say, so Grace's PhD is in astronomy. And I, honestly, to God, have no idea what you do with an astronomy degree no. other than be good enough for NASA right, or teach. So I'm with Grace on that one. Yeah. Also, a lot of PhD degrees now, you have to do like a thousand postdocs to mm. get a position somewhere. And I'm just saying like jobs everywhere are scarce, especially jobs in academia. Kim, if you had to choose a different STEM field, what STEM field would it be? I wouldn't. Okay. If I had to choose a STEM field, it I mean, maybe before reading this, it would have been astronomy, mm-hmm. which is why I took an astronomy uh. class for my science credit, because that was the only science I was interested in. Astronomy is a lot of math. Yeah, but it's like formulas. Okay. Gotcha. It's not like... There's something you can apply to it to get the answer. It's not like you have to think of a formula. I see. I would never be an extraordinary scientist. <laughs> I would be middle of the road. She does the work, but she doesn't innovate. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I picked biology because it, it makes sense to me very intuitively. Plus, I like learning about, you know, it's the study of life. Mm-hmm. I like learning about anatomy specifically, like the human body. 
So if I had to pick another STEM field, I simply wouldn't. I think if I had to pick another career altogether, I would fall back to my English side and either Mm -hmm. try to work up the ladder to become an editor someday. Yeah. Yeah. Or do the writing thing. Mm -hmm. One thing that also hit me was Grace eventually, like, changes paths and decides to go down a field of, like, being a professor. I was like, do not do this to me right now. Because Kim knows that I've felt the pressure. And I'm like, maybe I just, like, go to graduate school and then, like, get my PhD. Not my PhD, but, like, my doctorate and that become a, a PhD. <laughs> I don't know things, y'all. This is, it's not like I thought it through. It's just, like, a, a plan in the back of my head if, like, all else fails somehow. It's like, then I'll just become a professor. But it's like. No, no, you gotta like teaching. <laughs> I gotta like teaching. I think I just want to like keep publishing scholarly shit, and that's why I'm like, sure, let's be a professor, so I can also be paid. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this book was thrown too much anxiety my way about yeah about the workforce. Yeah. Ah. Uh. So- <laughs> Uh, so with all of that mounting pressure, lack of jobs, her formidable father being formidable. Mm. Can we she... talk real quick about her father? Yeah, okay, sure. Because I think any other time, as we keep mentioning, I'm just going to get more and more heated. Okay, let's do it. Okay. I full on did not like her father. Oh, yeah. I don't think I we're meant like, to. Holy shit. Like, does he just not have any sort of, like... So as we mentioned, Jesus. he is a colonel, retired mm-hmm. from the military from a really awful injury, yes. and he lost his leg. Mm-hmm. So he, ra- like I said before, raises Grace in like this malicious like yeah. efficiency slash drilled into her porters. He literally said porters are, what, porters don't cry, porters mm-hmm. are the best. And it's to the point where he calls his own daughter porter. Right. So much so that then everyone else sort of did it. Yeah. And I was very weirded out by that. And she, like, refers to herself, like, whenever she's having a down moment, being like, well, port- porters deserve the best. Yeah. We get the best. Yeah. Like, and sort even of her mom yeah. calls her porter, which so strange. Because like, this mantra has, like, literally is the foundation of, of who she is. Of who she is. Yeah. But also the foundation of, like her mental illness too basically yeah because that's the thing that's the other thing she she's caught between is unable to find a job because of racism but also any job that she's going to get she's not going to be happy in because Mm -hmm. she's not looking for things that will make her happy she's looking for things that are impressive and quote unquote the best and prestigious because she never thinks this will make me happy she thinks the best will make me happy exactly because it is the best which is a mindset that I've had to work many years mm. out of. Yeah. So reading this, ooh. I think I just <laughs> get This whole frustrated. episode is just us being like, ugh. Yeah. It's like, oh no. We're too close. Too relatable. close. It's, I think I just get angry because like as a father figure, you would expect, you would expect parents, and maybe this is just coming from, like, my parents who are great, and I have, like, a healthy, a normally, a genu- generally healthy relationship with them, um, where it's, like, 
I expect parents to have perspective at the very least Mm. and be able to take a step back from their own experience and see, okay, well, I have a daughter who's like 15 years old. I'm not going to yell at her until the point where she feels like she can't um, talk to me anymore because that's essentially what happens. And I mean, I know from my own personal experience with my father like yeah sometimes he like does things or like has an idea because and wants me to go down a path because he's like I've been there before Mm -hmm. and I failed and I don't want you to experience that but there's always a sense of like you could still do it and I'll support you even though I think it's not the best idea Mm. and that's not the route for the colonel at all where it's like sometimes grace will push back which is why she went to astronomy instead of medicine right but then in doing that she feels an even greater need to to prove herself herself. and it's just like jesus you think after like 29 years there'd at least be one moment where you tell your daughter you're proud of her right or you tell your daughter that everything's going to be okay and he never does that. He he doesn't do that until like literally the end of the book. Yeah. That was frustrating for me, but not at all surprising. Mm. Um Colonel is a black man living in America. Right. So I like I said, don't know that experience. But again, my mom, immigrant, came here when she was, you know, I I don't actually remember how old she was, but she was like she came here herself with a small daughter. So mm. A lot of the mentality is just, or and the thing that hurts to read about is the colonel's constant denial whenever Grace is trying to tell her dad that she is not doing well. The, because it's not just a, okay, you're not doing well, but you will be fine. It's that no, don't have those emotions at all. And just be okay because porters are strong and they're always okay. So then Grace is 29 and can't even recognize half the emotions that she's having, which is why she ran to New York. Because it's not like she it's not like she's like, okay, I'm feeling anxious about this because blah, blah, blah. She can't even recognize her own anxiety. No, because her father has constantly rejected negative emotions as a way to be like, oh, you're fine, you're going to be okay. Yeah. But it's not reassuring when your feelings aren't validated. Right. And she even tells him, like, I need a break. And he, like, storms out. He literally said, no, you don't. Yeah. He's like, that's unacceptable. It's like, well, sir, she's already, like, something big has already happened. She's already gotten married to a stranger. Like, she is at a breaking point. Well, he doesn't know. He doesn't know that. But, I mean, when... But clearly something is... Something's amiss because if your daughter who's normally like super closed off and like super driven and dedicated is saying, I need a break, that's for the first time in 11 years. Right. That's something to then be like, okay, how can I help her instead of just being like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But from his perspective, it's like, it's so hard to succeed and she's facing like many different discriminations all at the same time Mm -hmm. that he just wants her to be okay it's also this fear that if she stops she'll never start again Mm -hmm. which is something my mom also has like um i'm taking gap year between college and hopefully medical school (laughs) 
And uh, explaining the concept of a gap year to my mom was literally like a two and a half year process. Mm. Because it's this constant fear of, oh, you've worked so hard. And if you let up even a tiny bit, you're not going to want to pick it back up. Right. But it's ultimately that's unsustainable. And Mm -hmm. anyone who has tried, I'm sure, will agree with me that you just get burnt out. Right. The harder you push yourself. Yeah. I think, like, this idea of, like, you need to at least carve out some time, if not a year, for yourself to, like, truly, like, not be stressed is so important. And, like, Grace kind of figures that out. And so she takes, like, basically all of summer just to, like, Mm -hmm. finally, for the first time, like, relax. Yeah. And she still feels immense guilt while she's doing it, but at least she did that. So So let's talk about New York. Yep. So that led her to New York at Yuki's door. Her wife, whom she has been texting slash calling but hasn't actually met. Right. And Yuki has three roommates. Three roommates and a radio show she goes to. Um, So when... Grace and Yuki aren't in the same room or anything. Like, she's always listening to her radio show, which is about, like, lonely creatures and monsters. And so there's this extended metaphor about how they're both lonely creatures and monsters reaching out to each other. Jenny, Mm -hmm. did that make you want or think about what if someone listened to this podcast and fell in love with your voice? Thank goodness it didn't. You know I'm too much of a romantic that, like, I would latch onto that shit. Um... But no, I think the metaphor of like the monster yes. thing like took me out that I was like, I, I mean, me too. Actually, if I was like truly focused in on this book and wasn't like, I have a deadline to read this book for this podcast. I might have been like, cool. Yeah. And I would have taken <laughs> my time. But instead I was like zooming through this or I was just like, OK, OK, creatures. Yes. Monsters. OK, sure. That I like I didn't get it, which I feel like if I had to go back and read this again. I would take more time with that and not just like push it to the side because it's quite an extended metaphor. It is an extended metaphor. I wonder if I would why well, would change my mind if I did have time to read it, but like initial reaction right now is a little overdone. Yeah. I it's mean, brought up a lot. I too. mean, I get it. Like when you're when you feel like you're so lost and you're you feel like you're failing at what is a lifelong mm-hmm. like work and you're throwing it all away finding someone that's having that same lost. thread of loneliness run through them it's like i'm sure very yeah comforting yeah it's like two lost creatures then like find themselves yeah. it's like and you have that sort of support of someone who truly understands what you're going through but after a while i was like okay you're both fully grown adults Mm -hmm. you can't live in this fantasy bubble right forever right and you can't build a relationship on that essentially because but what they've both done is they've painted this picture of each other in their own Mm -hmm. minds where yuki is this flower blooming girl because she is asian and surprise surprise asian flesh is real mm-hmm. we drink alcohol we turn bright red yep and grace remembers it as like rosebuds blooming from her cheeks 
Mm. And it becomes this like really like Yuki in her mind is this enigmatic, like mysterious, mystical yeah. creature. Yeah. And then for Yuki, Grace is this honey girl with like favored by the sun mm-hmm. because her hair is like a beautiful golden color. Mm-hmm. And Grace has said over and over again, that's not my reality. That's not who I am. But Yuki pushes back each time she said that. It's like, no, but you are. Right. Because I, I say think, you are. I think Yuki's trying to do this thing where it's like, there's still good in you. Mm-hmm. I think she, what she's trying to do is be like, no, there's still good in you, even though you feel like you're failing. But in reality, it's kind of like being like, you're saying this is who you are and you're trying to open up to me, but I'm still trying to put you in this mold that I created. And I think as they get to know each other, they're slowly right. opening that mold up and then it just kind of explodes all over the place. Yeah. Because at first I was like, oh, no, this can't be the whole of it mm-hmm. because I won't buy into it. Mm-hmm. And like it's not. But it took a while. It takes a while that honestly, when they reconcile at the end, I'm just like, but but how? Yeah. Like I, one of my big criticisms and I think this is just because I'm such a romance reader and maybe this is like what I expect is just that we don't see Yuki and Grace alone a lot. Yeah. We see a lot of Grace with Yuki, but also all of Yuki's friends mm-hmm. and her support system. Like they go out to this like monster hunting thing at a lake and they're always all together at the apartment. Um, and even when... Grace goes to Yuki's show. There's another girl. There's another person there, Blue, that it just feels like I needed some more time where it was just them two so I could believe in their relationship and their strong connection. Yeah. And when we do get alone time, it's either a very chaste sex scene, um, talk of them being like a honey girl or like a. Yeah, nothing substantial. Right. Nothing substantial enough for me. And then them like essentially breaking up. Mm-hmm. And it's, I was just like, but it builds. But give me more. <laughs> it builds very quickly, and then mm-hmm. it also like peters out very quickly. <laughs> right. Um. Like essentially, they're already halfway in love with each other by the time Grace got to New York, and right. it only got stronger. Which, mm-hmm. fine, but like I said, we didn't get enough of the build for me to be yeah. like, oh yes. Like I want to see them in the there. day today. Like even just like a short paragraph on like how they started to like implement each other into their daily like routine so like oh while i'm doing like while grace does this yuki makes toast for us both even though she burns it all the time right like something just even sly like that i could be like oh okay so they're like building a life together and they're getting used to each other in shared spaces Mm -hmm. um and when that does happen instead it's always with a group of friends right um that i had a hard time for me to differentiate the friendships Grace is making versus the relationship she's building upon with Yuki. I agree. Yeah. And for me, it came to a head when Raj, her um, yes. close friend, they call each other brother and sister, like essentially he's her brother, mm-hmm. visits her in New York and they go out drinking um, and Raj... Like, they're basically talking about their careers, and Raj admits that he's not exactly doing well either. Like, he's struggling with his own shit. Right. And and he's drunk, so he blows up at Grace. And on page 131 in my ebook version, says to her, You decided to study astronomy. 
you decided to get a fucking doctorate. You knew it would be hard, and now that it is, you want to leave us all behind and run away with some girl you don't even know. Grace jerks back. The word, the words come like a tangible slap across the face. And my note there was, oh, I was wondering when all this lovey-dovey shit would stop and Grace would be called out on her shit. Right. Because running away, that's, yeah, that's what she's doing. And yeah, your support system is great, but a good support system helps you grow by holding you accountable. Mm -hmm. And I was waiting for one of the people in her life to hold her accountable. Yeah. And for anyone with the paperback edition, this scene happens from pages 170 to 178. Um, And yeah, I was waiting for this bubble to pop the entire time Mm because I was the entire time I was thinking, okay, Grace like isn't reaching out to her friends. And like before we had known that Agnes was not doing well. Yeah. And that Agnes is really only other support is Jimena. So that falls to her. Yeah. Sorry. Side note. Mm -hmm. um, So Jimena is a nurse and that's how Jimena met Grace. And then that's also how Jimena met Agnes and mm-hmm. I had a thing where Jimena's job is a nurse but also what did they call it a support buddy whatever I don't I don't know what they call essentially it. her yeah. job is to sit with people who need like a companion I think it's it that's it She's companion. A companion okay and she met Agnes like I said when she was ho- when Agnes was hospitalized and there was this scene where she comes home to Grace and was like oh there's this new patient her full name is Agnes blah 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 and like I can tell mm-hmm. that she needs us and that it's the same way I could tell I needed you and like we're all gonna be friends and I'm like okay that's great you just committed a Crimes. huge HIPAA violation <laughs> Yeah, I did not think about that, but as you were saying this, I was like, oh, HIPAA. Yeah. HIPAA. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's not ultimately important to the plot, but I just wanted to say that like that's how they met, essentially, is like in a hospital at their worst, which is why their friendship and bond is so strong. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, don't. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure... Any healthcare professional listening knows this by now. Right. But I'm just pointing that out. And it was not super ethical of Jimena to do. No. Yeah. So just closing that out. Not ethical for Jimena to do. But also now that they're closely bonded by all their trauma, mm-hmm. Grace doesn't reach out at all. Yeah. In a different state mm-hmm. with people they don't know. Yeah. And so I guess like maybe they call or text, do they? They, I think they text, yeah. But from the impression that I was given when Grace does talk to them, it had been a long time. Yeah, either on Facetime or through text, it's like it had it has been a long time. She also doesn't, she isn't forthcoming with what she's been struggling with either. Yeah, and two, she doesn't reach out to uh, Mina or Raj, um, essentially like her sibling figures, mm-hmm. until Raj comes and confronts her. Yeah. Um, and I think he was the right person to do that. Because right. Because then we see that foil of, like, another person who's also struggling, but, like, but, like, still is... Yeah. Is is burdened by that. Right. Um, and also feels stuck, but... Is, will, is, will doesn't have the out. option to... Yeah, doesn't to have the option to change. Um, 
yeah so i'm very glad with that scene i will say i was like reading this at night and i was like whoa 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 <laughs> there's so much happening there's so many barbs being thrown, thrown. yeah it was like deep cuts it said something about how um people you know, who love you the most mm-hmm. can hurt you the most because they know all the like the soft spots uh-huh and I, how her armor wasn't up i was like i Ooh. thought i thought of us when i read that <laughs> Yeah, it says, it seems so absurd, but when you've known people so long, you know how to love them and you know how to hurt them. You know all the soft spots where your claws dig in and press. I don't think our claws have dug in yet. No. But we could. But that, uh, I I wasn't thinking about us in the way that how we interact with each other. I was Mm -hmm. like, I know that both of our defense or our go-to is to throw those barbs out there. Oh, yeah. As soon as we feel somewhat threatened yeah uh-huh um i've definitely done that with my family members oh yeah and especially with family because yeah. you know all of the things because yeah you know all the things and then deep deep in your mind you're like no matter what i say yeah it's still gonna my be family, fine so it'll it's gonna be fine and even grace has that thought in her fight with raj where she's mm-hmm. like i know by tomorrow we'll forgive each other and they do and they do which is honestly same right but, like, I literally, like, got into a fight with my mom over, like, the smallest thing where I just, like, f- felt defensive and I, like, jumped down. And then, like, 10 minutes later, I was, like, reading it over and I was, like, Oops. I fucked up. So I, like, texted her and being, like, I'm sorry. I yeah. overreacted. <laughs> that was dumb of me. I love you. Yeah. But it's just, like. It's just another point in this book where we were, like, oof. Yeah. Excuse me. It's like, I've been there before. <laughs> Right, so then that conversation is sparks what is another mental breakdown for her, essentially. Mm-hmm. Her 29th birthday came up while she's in New York, and then she's realizing that, like, uh, it's been a year. Yep. I've been here for three months, which, again, wild. Wild. Oh, my God. Like, thank God she got along with the roommates. Imagine if, like, there was one roommate who was, like, didn't like her. Didn't like her. And they're like, what the fuck? And, like, I can see it happening where, like, one of the roommates, like, goes over to the other and being like, hey, hey so, like, do you know how long she's staying? And then it becomes a thing where it's like, well, Yuki just doesn't communicate clearly with us. Yeah, and then there were certain lines. Okay, so... Grace turns 19, or 19, 29, <laughs> 29. 29. Grace 19 turns, with a PhD. Grace turns 29, having a full-on existential crisis on her birthday. She gets an email from her advisor that's like, hey, sorry about the first interview. I reached back out to them. They want to offer you a second interview with a clean slate. Or I know some people at Ithaca College, and if mm-hmm. you want to, you can pursue that. Which then led her to a conversation with Yuki in which Yuki was like, oh my God, Ithaca is so close to New York. This is going to be perfect for right. us and blah, blah, blah. And Grace was like, no. She's like, she I said they teach were small that. and formidable, which means they're underfunded and therefore not the best. Yeah. So I want this other job that I already know has discriminated against me. Right. And Yuki said some things that made, that led me to believe that Yuki really thought that this was end game, that Grace yeah. was going to come to New York. They were going to, move in permanently get like keep their marriage status and it's just like riding off into the sunset together which girl what the fuck Mm -hmm. yeah she asks on page 213 of the paperback edition 
Were you ever going to stay? Yuki asks. This summer, were you ever going to make the decision to stay here with me? Or was I just a stopgap in the incredible life of Grace Porter? Did you even, was I ever part of your plan? And I was like, did did you sincerely think you were part of the plan? Because like both of y'all don't really have a foothold on what you're going to do. Right. And I thought this whole New York thing was just a, oh, well, we're married and you're kind of hot. So let's just take this time to get to know one another and see if we want to date. Yes. I thought the same thing. And then all of a sudden... Yuki's like losing. I'm in love with you. I want to be with you. Right, and Yuki's like, "How dare you not consider me in your future planning?" And I'm like, "A girl." Like I thought, y'all were just like casually dating. This was like a a summer fling. Mm Hmm. But no, we both interpreted that uh, not the way because we're normal people. Yeah, yeah. And one other thing that Kim and I were both just like frustrated by. Is Yuki fat or not? <laughs> okay, because like the way she's described, I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Okay, so that's the problem. This novel does go a little purple prosy at time, and purple prose is great. It has its time and place, but yeah. when you use it all the time to describe your character, it becomes a bit muddled because you have no right. idea what the metaphor means anymore. Yeah, because the thing is, we know in this part of the novel that Grace is romanticizing Yuki and her relationship, and so she'll do things she'll, like, yeah. let's see, um, Yuki gets dressed, hiding halfway behind her closet, ready to make her way to the radio station. She shimmies into some jeans that are more holes than denim. Grace peeks at her, eyes roaming over Yuki's curves, and the way her back is shaped like a bow. There's a small little bruise on her hip, purpling like wine, and she flushes at at remembering how it got there. That's on page 188. And I was like, okay, so she's fat, right? Right. And it like never explicitly says that. So I'm like, is she just curvy? Is she midsized? Like, I just, I want fat representation that's not vague because I don't want to have to like rewrite something essentially or feel like it's not actually there for fat people to like see themselves in a love story. Right. And there's another moment where it says Grace's hand hovers over her warm body, the creases and curves and bends. Okay, that's the issue when you only use curves to describe your female Mm -hmm. character because historically that word has just been applied to like hips and breasts and butts. Right. So using curves doesn't automatically tell your readers that they're fat. And it's also, though, a euphemism, though, for, like, clothing brands to be, like, mm-hmm. their plus curve section. Right. Their curvy girl section. And it's, like... So fat's okay, not a well, dirty word. Yeah. So, like, they're using that because fat is a word discriminated against largely. Right. But in doing this, I'm, like, are you... Like, just say she's fat. Like, that doesn't mean it's bad. But, like, saying saying it out loud then, like, erases that sort of um, connotation of fat right. to ugly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Also, I don't know what back shaped like a bow even means. Right. I guess, so, it, like, if she has back fat and then it goes down into the curve of her maybe she's putting on her jean. She's, like, bent over. So then her back is literally... Curved. Curved. Oh. But this is what we're, this is what we're complaining about, is right. that the ambiguity gets a bit much. Yeah. 
And I'm like, so if she's fat, amazing. If she's not fat, amazing. I just want to know. Yeah. Like, just use real use real words. Stop using it. Mm-hmm. Grace is an astronomer, so there's a lot of, like, she's made right. up of the galaxies and the stars dusts and yes. the sun-kissed curls. And I'm like, great. But right, use normal words at and some point. And the thing point. is, if you want to have it from Grace's point of view, that, because like that sort of prose fine but then maybe instead you can have this conversation where it would it would you know what is it kill kill two birds with one stone uh-huh Ooh, that's kind of now that i'm thinking about that phrase it's kind of mean <laughs> um anyways it would kill two birds with one stone if you had just this like short like one page scene mm-hmm. two page scene where they're just like in bed together yeah and so then it would get to the point of like I want to see their relationship being built and if right. they just like talked about sort of like some sort of like discrimination of being like oh how was your day today and you could, could just say something like oh I was called this by someone while I was walking down the street right, and right. and then like it can go into like Grace comforting her and say, yeah. telling her she's beautiful like that's an easy way to tell the reader hey she's fat and that's not bad while also making sure that descri- that representation is actually like explicitly there. Right. But alas. <laughs> okay. So the so she gets into that fight with Yuki and then straight up leaves. Leaves. Oh my god. <laughs> Yuki is like, "Okay, I can't have this conversation anymore. Like I'm hurt that you're like, you know, she's hurt." She walks out of the room and Grace packs up all her shit, flies oh. to Florida cuz her mom is in Florida. And her mom owns an orange grove, which growing up at an orange grove sounds like the most beautiful, idyllic way to spend your childhood. Just like up in an orange tree, running around. It goes back to the whole romanticization thing. Mm -hmm. Like I once was a wild child and like had fun and my hair was flowing and now I'm this strict person yeah and that grace needs to find a balance between the two but ooh, was i frustrated that she just leaves <laughs> without a word like her friends don't know how she's doing in new york right now yuki and all of like yuki's roommates don't know where she's going yeah and all of her roommates who have they made it a point to be like oh they're not my roommates anymore grace they're your friends right like, that was explicitly said yes so now all of those people don't know where she's right. going and then we only see like probably at least 30 pages after she's already in florida her starting to like slowly reach out to people and you you don't have we don't have any explicit scene right. where she reaches out to her friends and yuki's roommates we don't see her talking yeah. to dorian or fletcher or any of those people again and i'm like hello they're also your friends Tell them you're okay. Yeah, and the fight stems from the fact that Yuki feels hurt and she feels like she's being left out of this relationship and that Grace doesn't want her. So then coming back to an empty apartment yeah, after the person you have been essentially dating and falling in love with for the past three months have been there and now they're right. just up and gone. No explanation. Traumatic. Not even a cute little business card with a note. Nothing. Traumatic. It's not nice to ghost people. Yeah. Horrible. Don't do it. And Grace, too, 
shuts off her phone. Yeah. So it's not like she even has, Yuki can even contact her. Mm-hmm. It's like if she is texting her, it's going into the void. Like, the only contact Grace has outside of, like, being with her mom, Mel, and her mom's fiancé, Kelly, is that Mel is telling and updating her dad sometimes or her friends sometimes. Right. But she doesn't actively reach out for Mm -hmm. quite a bit. Yeah. And, like, Jenny has firsthand experience at how my anxiety works. Mm -hmm. And if that was me... I would think they were dead. Yeah. That's the... (laughs) Girl, because why else would your phone not be receiving messages? I think I would literally call 911 and be like, look, my wife was in the apartment. We had a fight and she packed up and left, but she didn't tell any of our close friends Mm -hmm. where she was going. And now I can't reach her. Like that is grounds to like call someone and try and get help and find them. (laughs) Bonkers bonkers i get the worst fucking thoughts when people disappear for like six hours mm-hmm. let alone just months yeah or weeks i literally get stressed out when like my sister's running late and it's like a 40 minute drive from like where she is to my place and i'm like oh she's not here yet that i'm like literally tracking yeah she got into a car accident is she okay i always like track her location to be like okay so she like hasn't left yet right and she's just at home she's okay or it's like oh she's five minutes away and on this road that's right outside it's like okay well then i'm not anxious anymore but when that happens i'm always like oh dead that's like (laughs) the first thing so i just hope they don't really show it much, but I hope Yuki was able to cope okay yeah. and that her roommates were able to comfort her. Yeah, girl, because that's rough as shit. Mm-hmm. That's the worst form of ghosting is in-person ghosting. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Okay, so in Florida, her mom can finally confronts Grace because clearly Grace isn't doing well. Clearly. And Grace finally breaks down and said all of the things that she's been struggling with Mm -hmm. all of these years. And her mom was like, oh, shit. And Uh, this, for me, is where the book gets, like, really good. mm -hmm. Like, this whole entire time, it kept, like, building up, building up, building up. And I was like, oh, my God, I I almost can't take it anymore. Yeah. And, like, wow. This, like, last, like, this third act, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So... She finally airs out some of the laundry and the resentment that she's had against her mom. Her mom finally gets the chance to, like, apologize for all the things. Because, yes, leaving your daughter to soul search in India and, like, Europe and blah, blah, blah. Sucky thing to do. Yeah. So, yes, she's like, I'm sorry for that, but I'm here now, so please let me help you. Mm-hmm. Grace says all of the pressure that she's been feeling. Right all the thing that her whole life and now she essentially feels worthless Mm -hmm. and i think what's really important here is that mel does not push Mm -hmm. grace's boundaries like grace is obviously very fragile and so the first day she gets there her mom wants to know what happened and she reads very quickly that's like oh you're not in the space to talk about what you just did that's a good point yeah and so she's like okay well like let's just hang out and drink Mm -hmm. and like have a quiet night and then we'll talk 
tomorrow when you're ready. But I think it's this thing where it's like, I respect your boundary, but also I recognize you need help. Yes. So it's not, yeah. I'm just going to turn your back away. We'll just revisit this. Right. And then. And I think giving the person like a clear deadline of we yeah. are talking about it tomorrow. It helps someone with anxiety mm-hmm. to prepare emotionally for like what's about to happen because there's a clear expectation because from my experience Mm -hmm. with anxiety not having clear expectations is the trigger for your brain to go in 20 million different directions right because if her mom was like okay well we'll just talk about it later then grace is on edge of like when is later like is this going to upend her entire day but knowing that it's tomorrow grace is able to like really articulate Mm -hmm. um what's happening and um her mom does this great thing where it's like okay well i think you should ask um kelly Kelly. who's um mel's fiance about anyone he knows who's a therapist because he has connections and it was this very clear you have a route towards getting better but you have to be the one to choose it you have to take initiative yeah Mm -hmm. and then it goes into this wonderful conversation of grace being like I need a therapist, preferably a black woman, because mm-hmm. obviously someone like people, she needs a therapist who Understands. has been there and can validate her experiences. And there's this really, I mean, it, it was almost comedic. Yeah, I, I, I think it is comedic. I think it's purposefully over exaggerated mm-hmm. where she tries out like she goes therapist shopping. Yeah. And I just want to say for anyone out there listening who is going through that process or is feeling discouraged from that process Mm. please keep trying yeah like someone out there and it's not that something's wrong with you it's just that therapists are also people and there's a lot of Mm -hmm. experiences and you will find the one that you know you feel comfortable right talking to it's not like therapists are are a blank slate you're both on like two different paths and maybe those will meet Exactly. So you just got to find someone who's on the same plane as you, really. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens with Grace is she goes through like three before Mm -hmm. she ends up with Dr. Heather or not. I don't think she's her first name. Yeah. She ends up with Heather, who is black woman therapist, who's really good. And then she consistently goes, works through her shit, eventually sees a psychiatrist at some points, gets formally diagnosed and then is on medication Mm -hmm. and I gotta say I was really happy that the whole getting diagnosed and getting medication wasn't a thing it wasn't like a big deal like oh well now you're medicated like what does that mean it's just like it was just like yeah she was clearly struggling this whole book and Mm -hmm. this is what was like given to her yeah and I think Heather makes a point too which is like well there's different courses of treatment like we can just talk or you can get medication or we could refer you to another person. It wasn't like, first off, it wasn't like medication is the end all be all, but it was also like medication is a valid way. Yeah, it's a valid option. Yeah, Mm -hmm. a valid option. Yes. So she keeps her head down. She works at the Grove, goes to therapy, gets back into this little routine because she's been so out of whack since Mm -hmm. the beginning of summer. Yeah. And then feels strong enough to, actually, no, she didn't. Her father called her mom, mm-hmm. and her mom came up and was like, hey, it's been long enough. You need to talk to him. Yeah. So Grace has what – it was a devastating conversation to me. <laughs> I felt personally attacked. 
Was this uh, when she talks to him about the graduation? Yes. Okay. So for, it's on around page 246 for paperback readers. Yeah. So she basically, he's basically like, what the hell has been going on? What's happening? And she's like, yeah, I lied to you about why I was going to New York and I'm not doing well and you need to understand that. And her father's like, finally was like, okay, yeah, tell me about it. And then she explains she's trying, but she needs the break no matter what he thinks. She knows what's best for herself and she needed this break. And she said a line that was just like, um, and the only thing that's been killing me is like wanting to make you proud. And maybe that's the thing that I should like, like that's the one thing that I should give up on because her father basically accuses her of giving up on all of the work yeah. that she's been doing to get her PhD. And she's like, nope, that's not what I'm doing. A break isn't me giving up. Mm-hmm. But maybe I should be giving up on making you proud of me. Yes. And her father, of course, was like, do you really think that I'm not proud of you? Mm-hmm. And she, her first reaction was, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, she because said, what she's else never... am I supposed to think? Yeah. So I started sobbing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was full on crying. Yeah, because I was like, oh, oh no, that's, that's it's a bit too close. Yeah, it's oh, it's right there. Yeah, it's, it's woo. Mm-hmm. I think the the one for me in that scene it's just a bit later, where um, Grace is like, I told you something was wrong, and you told me to grit my teeth and smile through it, and I know what you meant, and I still do. But now I'm sleeping in my childhood bedroom. And I see a therapist once a week and I have these two little pills every day and I wish I hadn't pushed myself so hard. And he responds with, you had a plan. I wanted you to finish it. I wanted you to go further than anyone ever expected to you to. That's all I ever wanted for you, Porter. I wanted you to follow your plan because you worked so hard for that. I can't feel bad about that. And this is the part that gets yeah. me. Mm-hmm. She said, I wish you did. I wish you felt bad, and I wish I didn't understand why you don't. Yeah. Like, oh fuck. Oh fuck. Because they both think they're in the right. Mm-hmm. Is essentially, and they like, both the see each other's perspectives, and they can't. Yeah, move. they can't understand it. Yeah. And it's for me is like that generational difference. It's the immigrant parents slash black parent experience of mm-hmm. like I know how hard it was for me to make it, and I want you to do better so i'm gonna right. push you harder than anyone has is ever going to push you in your life yeah um but again w- your children don't know things unless you tell them right like because not saying not communicating something clearly leads to a lot of mm-hmm. misread like my mom did the same thing. We essentially had almost this conversation. Oh, yeah. Same with me and my dad. And my mom also was like, how could you not, how could you think that I'm not proud of you or that I'm not mm-hmm. supporting you? And I had to be like, well, blah, 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 blah. And yep. she was like, well, I did blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I and I was like, okay, but you never said anything. So this is how I viewed those actions. And that's exactly what happened with Grace and her dad. Where Grace was like, how do, how am I supposed to know that you're proud of me? You walked out of my graduation, mm-hmm. which was obviously misconstrued as him being right. unimpressed. Yeah. But from his perspective, it's because he was so mad that he can't help her in her field that mm-hmm. he had to leave the room. Right. 
He was he was looking at all the other white parents schmoozing and knowing that they could make even their mediocre sons and daughters successes while he can't do anything to help guide her to a great job. Mm-hmm. It just is on her. Right. Yeah. And my mom has said the same thing, literally, mm-hmm. where she's just like, I'm on you all the time because that's the only way I know how to help you. Right. And I had to be like, well, it's not. It's not helpful. helpful. Yeah. I think I'm in a similar boat where my dad went to trade school because that was like the norm uh, when he, in like the 70s, 80s. And then when the 2008 recession hit and he had to try and find a job, he had no college degree and it was essentially a trade. It's not. He, so essentially it was found pointless in like the recession and he didn't have a job for three years. And we were living off my mom's like teeth elementary school teacher's assistant salary and they like went through all the savings and stuff Mm -hmm. um and that was obviously like really scared him to the point that when i told him i was studying english and women's and gender studies he's like those are two worthless degrees (laughs) like you're not on the surface like surface level level yeah a really harsh and awful thing to say right and so then it comes in your head where it's like well he doesn't believe i can make it right right it becomes a personal affront rather than i'm looking out on this broad workforce and i've been in it and i know it'll be hard for you to find something rather than i don't believe in In you you. specifically yes exactly yeah it's hard to work through and in that when you're a kid like that when you're like 18 17 like deciding to do things right you don't have that I did not have that perspective at all of course I was like well you need to just believe in me dad and now I'm like okay I see where he was coming from like I still think he was wrong but yeah and And you still gotta give it a shot otherwise you're not you're just gonna live in and that's what like grace does she like gives us gives it a shot and when it doesn't work it's she starts to realize it's not her fault yeah and and by the end she regroups right and yeah let's be clear of the timeline here she's Mm -hmm. been graduated for like six months yeah girl yeah kim and i like we're like okay wait a minute we gotta write down a timeline because (laughs) it's not like they give days really um so we learn, let me find. We learn that on her 28th birthday, so a year before this whole New York thing happened, mm-hmm. her dad and her stepmom gave her the tickets to Las Vegas, and it was mentioned that the tickets are in March. Yep. And they're her for her graduation present. So she graduated then in December. Yes. So then she graduated in December, went to Las Vegas in March, and now where she is in the journey it's like the end of summer september ish mm-hmm. so it hasn't even been a year right honey in a field that's largely competitive obviously discriminates against both queer people and black people let alone a queer black woman yeah that's like i think anyone with a phd in astronomy now is gonna have a hard time finding a job mm-hmm. let alone a queer black woman yeah and i was seeing this on Morgan, I forgot if it was Morgan Rogers's Instagram or Twitter, but she was like, I wrote this pre-pandemic, but I also recognize that a lot of this book is exactly what people are experiencing. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you can like see yourself in this and know that it'll get better. I saw myself a lot, Morgan. Yeah. You correct. It hurt. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, yeah, she... 
Well, but like obviously, when you're in the middle of it, you don't have perspective. No. You just think you're a big old failure. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. So then they come to this sort of mutual understanding of like, obviously, I'm proud of you. I just want the best. And mm-hmm. how to achieve the best is by pushing you to your extent. Yeah. And Grace is like, well, I'm not a robot. Right. And I'm going to burn out if you keep doing that. Yeah. So it's not like a full on everything is perfect, but it's an open channel communication that they've never had. Right. So... Yeah, and I like that there's not, like, a lot of decisive happy endings where it's, like, yes. you yeah. know they're going to be completely okay now. It's not that sort of escapism. Mm-hmm. It's more like we are on the right path. Yeah. And now we just both have to be dedicated to right. bettering that relationship. And the same is with um, her and her mom where, right. like, they both start communicating more and, mm-hmm. like, that big step is that Grace officiates um, her mom's her wedding, mom's wedding to yeah. Ke- Kelly. Mm-hmm. Right. So after this conversation with her dad, Grace gets the strength and like courage to reach back out to her friends in a real way and then uh, invites them to her mom's wedding, which she's officiating. And then Grace gets the courage to record like a message for Yuki. Mm-hmm. Also, like, you know, apologizing for straight up leaving her yeah. and asking for, you know, a second chance. Basically just putting it out there. Right. It's like, I love you. I'm sorry. Let's give it a go. Right. Still no talk of an annulment, but sure. Yeah, I guess they're just like fully married. So then we see the wedding and Grace is, so this is like the happy ending, except it's a very realistic happy ending. Yes. Where they, yes, everyone is at that wedding. Grace does a great job um, officiating. She gets the courage to send an email to her advisor to be like, hey, I don't want that job at that company, but I am interested in teaching if you mm-hmm. can help me help out me with out. that. Yeah. And it's also a big step for her because she's not comfortable asking for help. No. In this entire book. Yeah. And this time she's finally recognizing that it does not make her weak to reach out for help. Mm-hmm. And she's also much more dedicated to being that rock for her friends as well. Yes. Where she realizes, especially after her um, fight big with fight with Raj, that like she does not know a lot of her friend's struggles. Right. And so they have supported her and now she's getting strong enough to also be a support for them. Mm-hmm. Which is really great. Yes. Yeah. So it ends with the wedding being over and Yuki popping up, and then there. Okay. It was so obvious though. Yeah. That Yuki was there. I know. Because Jimena's like, "Hey, can you get this like wine from this place?" It's, yeah. And like Agnes is like, "No, I'll get it." And Jimena's like, "No, no. she'll. No. Grace will get it. Grace has to get it." And you're just. And I literally wrote down, I was like, oh, okay, Yuki's there. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a given now. It's not, yeah, but. It was fun to see that. It was also, like, two pages out from the end, so, right. like, Yuki has to show back up. And then they reconcile. They uh, reconcile, yes. They're, she finds her in the orange grove, um, and Yuki's saying that she was, like, looking for a, mon- a creature again. And it's Grace, haha. Yeah. Har, har. Har, har, har. And essentially they, they find each other again. They find each other again. They stay married. <laughs> they stay married. Presumably. Yeah. Um, one, a couple like 
just offhanded comments that I want to bring up. Sure. Um, is Mira? Oh shoot! First, I apologize. It's not Mina. It's Mira. I read my note wrong. Oh. My R's look like N's, and I was just reading this scene, and it said Mira. So, anytime you've heard Mina, I'm wrong. Apologies. Um, but there's this scene at the very end where Mira has now moved in with Agnes and Jimena. My one little side note is, did you pick up on the polyamory hints? Yes. Okay. I did. Okay, cool. Because I was reading this and I was like, okay, Jimena and Ag- Agnes obviously have a thing happening. Yes. It's and- just that it's very sidelined because Grace isn't there, but whenever Grace does yeah. witness it, it gets pointed out. Like, they're essentially in love yes and then like mira moves in on grace's lease because because yeah rent and grace doesn't live there anymore and mira says that like jimena's ridiculously beautiful and agnes is the coolest kindest person ever and earlier grace teases agnes about having a crush yeah in front of jimena who also was like yeah she has a crush it's so cute i was like i was like no jealous i was like okay okay Oh, I'd like to see it. I think the big thing for me was like every secondary character I wanted to know more about. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to see Jimena, Agnes and Mira. I want to see how Raj deals with like getting this like another tea house, even though he wants to work in medicine. Yeah. And that wasn't tied up, which, you know, yeah, it's realistic. But I was like, poor Raj. I was like, poor Raj. He's just stuck in a career he doesn't want. It's like, I want to know more about Yuki's roommates. I really want to know about Yuki's roommate who's a trans MMA fighter. Yeah. I was like, I want to know more about that. Thank you. So and two of Yuki's roommates are also in a relationship with each other. Right? right. It's very subtle. Yes. So, you know, lots of the char- the side characters all have their own very colorful lives. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, I think that would make for a more interesting book. Right. But at least more, like, plot-driven-y. Yeah. But but if that happens, I feel like it could be a little unfocused, so. Yeah. I think this still was, like, great. I was just like, I want more. I want to, like, know more about these people. So who knows what Morgan Rogers' is, um, next projects are. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that that is Honey Girl. That is Honey Girl. There's- and if... You know, if you're interested in polyamory, we are next week. We're reading Harbor by Rebecca Weatherspoon, and it's all about a polyamorous relationship. And it is actually romance. It's actually romance. We've checked. I've checked it out. My bad. <laughs> you know, we can have one goof. One goof per season. This was my goof. You can have one later on. All right. Uh, so... Should we, how should we rate this, given hmm. that it's not how we normally, or given that it's not the thing we normally rate? I would just say, hmm. we have to come up with a new scale. Yeah, like one to five, just like a normal, like, sort of aggregator thing. Like, one, it sucked, just like as a book. Yeah. So, one, it sucked, five, best thing ever. How would you, where would you put it? I have to, writing wise, it's strong. Mm-hmm. 
but it is coming to me at a time in my life where I didn't need it want to engage with it right now because I'm emotionally right in the center yeah so overall experience of three I agree it was an overall experience of three where there were moments when I was like I know I'm just not liking this as much because one hitting too close to home two I'm a little disappointed that I fucked up and (laughs) (laughs) and like in the back of my head I was like oh Jesus you were um, led astray. You didn't fuck yeah. up. You were purposefully misled. Okay. And um, I think that sort of like knowledge sometimes made me like purposefully step back and like yeah. not be fully in it. Where I think if I was fully in it, it would probably be closer to a four for sure. Me too. Like if this was a I'm in the middle of my career, mm-hmm. I'm happy, I'm satisfied, I can think back on all of the nights I'm sobbing in my room as an undergrad, yeah. freaking out about my future, I'm sure I would rate this very high. Right. Or, like, even come December when I, like, hopefully have a job and, like, I moved into a new place and I have a COVID vaccine, I think, like, I'll be in a better place where I can be like, okay, I recognize this was me a couple months ago. And I'm happy to read about a story where someone else who's in a quasi-similar place Situation. also got out yeah so (laughs) thank you for listening to this episode hope you had fun anyways we did yes and if you were also led astray by the marketing of honey girl and picked it up please let us know because it is a beautiful cover and all the marketing said romance so if you're also a romance reader please let us know your thoughts um our email will be in the show notes yes uh, and reach out to us with any of your thoughts. Yeah. We are at Ripping on Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Please mm-hmm. follow us. Uh, we are at Ripping on Bodice Rippers at Gmail. Mm-hmm. Rate and subscribe to the podcast, pretty yeah. please. It really helps small podcasts like us um, to you know, get our name out there and people will actually trust that we're good instead of just scrolling on to the next podcast that has more reviews. Yep. And until next time, please hire us.